everyone. Welcome to a Wednesday night edition of the Talking About Podcast. I'm Sean Kennedy. With me on the line is Liberty Baller's own Dave Early to discuss the Sixers seeing their three-game winning streak come to a dramatic halt as Cleveland absolutely wiped the floor with them. 113 to 85 was the final. Dave, we were talking offline. Not a lot of positives to take away from this one. I guess the biggest one was that the game was pretty short. And (laughs) it it happened, it happened swiftly and it happened fiercely because Cleveland shot 16 of 17 in the second quarter from the field. That's you heard that right. They only missed one shot from the field in the entire quarter. They scored 44 points in that frame for the game as a whole. They shot 15 of 29 from three and 45, uh, close to 61% from the field as a team. Just, the Sixers didn't have a lot of life in them. They weren't getting back in transition and Cleveland just was hitting everything in sight. It was kind of a perfect storm. I don't know, Dave, what, what do we take away from this contest? <laughs> uh, what do you take away? I think you take away that this is a tough matchup uh, for them and it will continue to be a tough matchup when the big guns come back. I mean, the offense will be so much better when Hard and Maxi are back out there. But yeah, and, and the report today that Harden is expected to return on Monday. So that, that was so some good news for the Sixers today. That's excellent, excellent news. Um, but the defense isn't going to get better, I wouldn't expect, when those two guys are playing the whole game again. You know, I think we've seen them kind of lean into this defensive personality and that's worked for them. Their defensive rating has really shot up over the course of the games James has missed. Uh, it's not all James's fault, but... I mean, it's not all because of his absence, but like the team, Joel has talked about it earlier in the season, struggles to stop the ball, right? And this team has guys who, I mean, we talked about it in the preseason when they made the Donovan Mitchell trade, like how the Sixers match up with this team is going to be rough because they have so many, what Brett Brown used to say, water bug guards who will just blow right by your first defender, whether that's Maxi or Harden or, uh, you know, Melton's their best, their best person to put on ball there but you only have one of him yeah and cleveland you know the the garland mitchell backcourt is probably as offensively potent as any in the league it's unbelievable they're they're so good those two yeah they're hitting everything in sight both especially garland garland just continues to grow as a passer he he's really creative finds finds guys from unorthodox angles and makes passes you wouldn't quite expect um and Mitchell does a good job distributing as well. Uh, yeah, we, we need to, I guess, to have a bigger conversation about, you said it's a tough matchup for the Sixers. So this is the first meeting of three between the teams this year. Cleveland is ahead of them in the conference right now. They've they've gotten off to a great start to the season. They're now 13-8 and eight after the win. And yeah, this could be something we see. Like this could be, I don't know, a first round playoff matchup potentially. Um I don't know, probably not a second round matchup because I would expect, you know, it to be either Milwaukee or Boston at the at the top. You would have to face in a second round matchup. But yeah, it could be a first round matchup. So we we didn't feel that or at least I didn't. I didn't feel that concerned about Cleveland last year. They were the the young upstart team that was, you know, a lot of fun and a good story in a lot of ways. But I, the Mitchell edition and the continued development of the young guys like Garland and Evan Mobley, they, they didn't even have Jared Allen tonight, who was an all-star a year ago. And I, I don't know. It, are, 
if this was a first round playoff matchup between these teams, you said it's a bad matchup for the Sixers. Are is this something you would be worried about? A hundred percent. I mean, first of all, I'm thinking finals, and if you're beginning on the road in Cleveland, your path is just brutal, isn't it? Yeah, that'd be that'd be a really difficult first round <laughs> series to have to get through. So because... why that's yeah, the why why regular season does matter to an extent. Like you want that if you did have to play a team like Cleveland, you want home court advantage in that. Exactly. And th- and that's why I suppose you see, I suppose Daryl Morey and Doc Rivers and Elton Brand might argue, that's why we have been pushing so hard. I mean, it's easy for you guys to get on your podcasts. Uh, I'm, I'm being Daryl talking to myself now, like Dave, and complain that we're not load managing James Harden, but the East is stacked. And if you would be on there bemoaning their brutal path to the finals. This is why we were playing hard in big minutes in the beginning when Joel wasn't quite at full conditioning because of his plantar fasciitis. Uh, we did lean on him and Maxi. We did feel we had to do that to get some big wins. Um, obviously, you didn't want him to get hurt, but yeah. And so it's, I, it's, I guess it's, it's why in, in a game against Minnesota, you might like leave Joel out there to to finish that game, hoping that you can just steal that one, and and you know. You say, oh, big picture, what does it matter? But, you know, one one game in the standings might make all the difference at the end of the year. You really don't know. It's a great, it's a great point. And I'm, I'm happy to take a mea culpa because I was on there kind of bitching, like, what are the Sixers doing playing Joel Embiid in this game? And then all they were was a DeAnthony Melton breakaway finish away from possibly winning that game. So they were right to push in that one. At the same time... You saw it in this one. They went for it in this in that one against Minnesota. They fell short. They went for it in this one, and they never even cracked 23. And Joel was taking just some incredibly dangerous falls, diving for loose balls with, obviously, the most dangerous man in the NBA, Robin Lopez for Embiid, who, you know, he he's... It, sound, it sounds like one of those Dos Equis commercials. Robin Lopez is the most dangerous man in the NBA. Yes. Who is the most <laughs> dangerous man in the NBA for Joel and me? It might be Robin Lopez. Um, yeah. Because when, when you see the two of them diving and you see Joel standing upright and Robin on his knees near Joel's feet, in the end of the game, and they're down by 25. And I'm like, thank goodness his feet got out of there. But I tweeted, the Sixers really need a common sense czar. And I think it's true. Like they need someone to be saying, Hey, look, this is not the night to put, maybe you were right to do it against Minnesota, but now this is on the road against a much, much better team. Um, And you're down by even more than you were. This isn't a 15 point deficit. This is 30 now. And common sense czar would have said, let's, let's make Joel understand. We don't need to take risks like that in a game like this still in the first month of the season. Uh, and let Doc understand, you, you don't have to try to push that hard for this one. Your job isn't so unsafe. Joel just came out and said, you're doing a great job a couple of days ago. So if you're worried about losing your job and playing him so much, I don't think you should be thinking about that, Doc. Yeah, Joel was certainly, you could see the frustration mounting as as the deficit grew. And mm-hmm. he, he might have crossed the line between, you know, fighting as hard as you can to to try to put the team on your shoulders and, and maybe crossing over into a little bit of recklessness mm-hmm. which you you don't love to see it i mean as as a a viewer saying hey we want you to be healthy for potentially 100 games this season 
it, it makes your your heart hurt a little bit but on the other hand you, you gotta love the fight and the the fact that he was super frustrated and it just shows the want the desire to win and he was still giving it you know 100 percent. like a, a lot of guys might have just checked out and just like kind of started sleepwalking in the third quarter but he you know he actually cares which is you know that is something you'd like to see as a fan but also yeah probably should play a little smarter and kind of see the big picture a little bit but um i don't, I don't know I, I didn't i didn't take the team to or the the coach coaching staff to task as much as, as you did in, in our conversation. Um, I feel like they, they had it. It was 30 and they're like, all right, if we can get it to 20 by the end of the quarter, maybe, maybe there's a possibility. So they had it to 22 and they had the steal towards the end of the, the third quarter. And they had a three on one fast break and Matisse botches the layup and that would have cut it to 20. And instead uh, Cleveland goes the other way. And they end up getting a basket with like 0.2 seconds left in the quarter to make it 24. And that that was like the, the, the backbreaker. And any momentum like wind in the Sixers sails completely went out then. And then they 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 sat all the starters for the entire fourth quarter. So I didn't think it was anything egregious. Like you're not going to sit your starters at the beginning of the third quarter. So like, I don't know, maybe they played three minutes too much at the end of the quarter. But I, I didn't feel like it was too egregious like th- there's been times where I'm, I'm ready to join you and say what are these guys doing on the court but i don't, I don't think playing in the third quarter of a game is it, it's like too far over the line in my opinion yeah that's fair i mean I'm, I'm looking at it more in the grand context that we're already missing harden because he was leading the league in minutes and, yeah. and because of that maxi had to lead the league in minutes as soon as he was out and then Embiid comes back clearly not fully healthy and he starts playing some not lead, not lead, leading league leading minutes, but some really vicious and brutal and violent at times minutes when he's trying to carry the team without Harden and Maxi. And so you've got the weight of all that on one or sometimes two of these guys. And I just think it's given them some challenges. So yeah, it's easier to defend them tonight. Uh, you know, obviously it didn't go the way they that it worked in their favor versus Minnesota, you could argue, because they got back into that and they had a chance to win, a great chance to win. Um but I just think there is some criticism to be go- to be doled out. You know, Doc could have ta- pulled Joe aside. I'm going to leave you in to see what happens. We can cut this to 20. But I don't want you, you know, getting so frustrated and wrestling with Robin Lopez because we've seen how that went before, and it might have cost us a conference finals trip. Yeah. And we've seen how it works out when he goes after mascots. So. Yeah. <laughs> he's just a guy who even when he means absolutely well and he's not a dirty player he's just huge and dangerous (laughs) yep uh yeah i hear you so i i think a lot of people are probably probably in agreement and as much as you hate to see them throw in the towel when when a team only misses one shot in a quarter and then they hit three threes right at the beginning of the third and suddenly it's a 30 point game I, I know they just had a, a game the other night where they came back from 16 and that was their, their biggest comeback of the year, but 16 and 30 or that's a different story altogether. Like you, you uh, hit on it earlier. You said Joel, when things don't go his way, we saw him get frustrated with a couple calls and then the team had a couple turnovers and that's when he, you see him start playing some bully ball saying, all right, you have to call it the next one and maybe making a reckless play diving for a loose ball into the stands 
or diving into a traffic for people. And, and so we've seen him sort of Aaron. It's great that he cares, but at this point, that's not the risk we what we want you taking at this point of the year. Yeah, that's fair. And I'm, I'm sure plenty of people out there agree with you on that point. All right, we're going to take a quick break and hear from our sponsors, and then we'll be back. And th- there were a couple positives to take away from this one. We'll hit on those and, and some more thoughts from tonight's game. All right, and we're back. Dave, one of the the very few positives, I guess, was the play of Paul Reed, who you know only logged 14 minutes tonight, but four or four from the field, and it wasn't these weren't garbage time buckets. All of those those field goals came in the first half when the game was very close and had yet to be decided. Uh, just looks like he's kind of figuring out the nuances of pick and roll play is a big. Looks a lot more controlled. Uh, he's still bringing that chaotic energy to the court, particularly on the defensive end, but on offense, particularly like playing within himself a lot more, it seems like, and just looks more comfortable in his, in his role out there on the court. Uh, what do you think of B-Ball Paul's play tonight? Yeah, I, I agree. I, I like to flip back and forth on my league pass between the home and away broadcast, just because sometimes I like to hear what other, you know, what other broadcasters are saying about our team, but I did catch, Kate and Allah saying that they think he's playing his best ball right now and looks his most comfortable and playing with that energy. Uh, and I, I agree. I agree with you. I agree with the, the broadcast team. I think he's looked good. I think he's comfortable now with his role. Don't think he's terribly worried that he's out of the rotation. And I don't think he's terribly worried about Trez stealing his minutes. I think he feels he, he kind of knows where his spots and he knows he's going to get his opportunities, even if they're not as many as he'd like. I would have liked to see him get more minutes in a game like this, especially. Um, but yeah, made all four of his shots, plays with passion, and he delivers something they need, a big guy who can move out on that perimeter. There's not a lot of guys who can do that. Of course, Garland and Mitchell are the best in the league at making big guys turn the absolute wrong way and split a double team and snake a double team and have your have your big flailing and spinning. Um but he has a better chance than most in, in that situation. No one's going to look good, but. Yeah, at least he can spin back around quickly, <laughs> too. <Recover. laughs> yeah. Um, well, I, I yeah, I thought it was a little surprising he played 14 minutes. But on the other hand, it's good that when garbage time rolled around, it, it was Trez out there and not not Paul Reed. So, yeah, I, I think earlier in the season, that those four, those eight fourth quarter minutes that Harold played would would probably have been Reed out there, so yeah, good point. Probably why. Yeah, so it's uh encouraging that he at least seems to have a a firm stranglehold on the backup center gig, and uh, another good night to to show that he's he's earned it and deserves to have that role. And I think he it would it would take a really bad stretch and some real struggles from him to to lose the grip on that right now because it, it seems like he's definitely uh taking it taking advantage of the opportunities that were presented and he's he's earned that spot and i think it's best for the team in the long term as we've you know we've talked about that so uh, do you uh do you have a place for us to go or do you mind if i ask you a big picture question yeah go ahead so me a couple of me and my friends were texting about this today we were inspired by brian Toprick's article like you know, the absences has given the chance for some other Sixers to shine. Is this, or maybe boost their trade value. Are you thinking 
sell high on any of the Sixers reserves who have been playing really well? Or are you thinking um, it's great to have Shake Milton now and know that um, it's great to have Niang playing so well? It's even great to see Matisse Thibel contribute. He hit a smooth-looking corner three tonight. Um, where, where is your head at with that idea that Brian raised? I, I just don't see how there's really a feasible path for any of it. I mean, it's great that Shake's playing so much better and has emerged as this 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 scoring and playmaking threat. But he's only making a few million dollars, so and he's in, he's in a contract year. So what? I, I guess a team would trade for him for the bird right opportunity, so that they they could have a first shot at resigning him. But then, how would the salary match work out? And what what are you getting? Like what what player they would be giving up would be in a reasonable salary range where salary matches would work out that would be a significant upgrade over Shake. Um, because right now he's he's playing really well, and I think when James and Tyrese come back, he he's he's kind of what you were looking for. You were looking for someone to come in off the bench that isn't a defensive liability and that can kind of play on or off the ball, hit shots, and you run the offense if you need them to. And that's the version of Shake that we're seeing right now. That's kind of what they exactly what they were looking for. So I don't know what this hypothetical trade would be that would a be an upgrade and B, be workable given the salary and the contract situation and everything. Um, aside from that, like Tob- Tobias was awful tonight over, over some in the field. Apparently he was de- <laughs> dealing with an illness and left the game early. So, you know, we'll chalk, chalk it up to that, but he, he had been play- up to that. Yeah, yeah. He, he had been playing incredibly well the last week and a half or so. Um, he was, he was playing terrific. Was so, playing but really good ball. It, I mean, that doesn't change anything about his salary and that team's, don't want to take it on and if they if they did it was you know just for like uh empty empty cap space empty contracts that they just want to get off their books and the sixers were just kind of like i don't there, there there's no players out there making similar amount of money the teams would be both willing to give up and that would be better than tobias would be for the sixers so i think realistically this upcoming offseason is the first time that there's really a window to trade him. I, I still don't see it happening midseason. So, I mean, that's out the window. I mean, who else are we talking about? Like Niang? I, I don't think anyone's... It's great that he's hitting shots, but no one's like looking at him as a centerpiece of a deal or anything. So, I don't know. I, I just... I no, Nothing that's happened has really changed the, the Sixers trade market, in my opinion. Okay, so you you resist the notion that they have actually boosted their trade value this and that this would be a sell high moment. And they they've boosted their trade value in the sense that yeah, people might be more intrigued by Shake if he was included in a deal, but the Sixers just don't have enough workable pieces and parts and you know picks or whatever to 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 make to get things done. Like, I don't know. I, I don't just... know what it is either. I know some of the popular names are like Reggie Bullock, Jay Crowder teams, you know, but you don't see, I don't see why the, those contenders would want to part with those guys for shake. You know, I see shake and Niang appealing to some of these teams who are not quite contending and they need regular season buckets. Uh, and they do have maybe the future in mind for a guy like shake and they don't mind paying him an affordable deal at the end of the year, et cetera. 
But if you're looking to get a, to poach a vet on a contender who wants to win the championship, it doesn't make a ton of sense. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it's it's great. I think it's great they're playing well, but I and it, I think, but I think it helps the, the Sixers more in having them and hoping they continue to play well than for wins any like sort of tra- trade market scenario. Yeah. But yeah, it's. I mean, it's a it's a valid point, and I'm sure Daryl will be exploring everything. So. It's always better to have your guys playing well than to have them not playing well. I'm sure yeah. he's made some phone calls with with the idea that these guys are now peaking uh, in value, and just to see, you know, maybe not with the idea that he's going to pull the trigger, but just to understand the market and see. Okay, well, now I learned that this team is actually interested in this one player, but not these three players. That's good to know for the future. Yeah, sure, and just just knowing what teams value is is good to know because. You know they're going to go into the draft next off season, and you could say, "Hey, they're, they're targeting this kind of a player," and you might know, you know, what they might be looking for, and you can block them or, you know, trade up or do whatever trade you need Danny to do Green to in a, a first for a vet. Yeah. Yep. So always, always good to have intel, and it's at the most basic level. You you want these guys to be maximizing their value. It's it's not a bad thing, but I just I just don't see it, like suddenly creating this path to a deal happening anytime soon that's fair um anyone else i, I we oh the, the the other thing we were going to hit on so pj tucker and thibel both actually hit threes tonight P, pj hit two in fact he was two for four from from three had another one that was really ugly but hey hitting two for pj it's that's like anyone else hitting eight or something so <laughs> yeah you have to chalk that up as a as a win and and thibel also was one for two from three but both of them were played they were just completely ignored on offense by by cleveland they were just giving them like 10 feet of space and particularly for tucker who you know never has been a huge offensive weapon throughout his career but he was always like a 38% three point shooter. So that's not a guy teams were ignoring, but the scouting report is out that he's just completely ice cold right now. And, you know, Thibel obviously has the long history of struggling in that area and teams have played off him for some time now. Does this mean any Thibel Tucker lineup combinations are completely unplayable because not only do you have one guy teams are ignoring, but you have two. That's that seems like a, a bad recipe. And how concerned are you about the Tucker shooting slump and how that might like dom domino effect clog up the offense if teams just like blatantly go Ben Simmons style on him? Yeah. Haralos had that post of like the Mori Matrix and Milwaukee was an outlier in that they are causing teams to play very inefficient against them. Um, so you're not getting like free throws, dunks, and threes against uh, Milwaukee. I suppose that's what that means. So you think how how will teams like the Bucks, the Celtics, uh, in in the past teams like we've seen the Heat defend the Sixers really well, the Raptors, and they are going to leave those guys. I don't think they're completely unplayable. I think you could get away with some lineups with James Harden and Tyrese Maxey, and I don't know Paul Reed out there with them and and hold your own if they're hitting, but I would feel a lot better about Tucker if Maxi and Harden were in the fold and Harris was totally healthy 
Niang was playing the way he's playing. Paul Reed and Trez are both playing well. And then they could just kind of rest him. And then I'd say, all right, he had that knee offseason surgery. Let's get him plenty of minutes rest as opposed to go out there and do what you're doing and play defense all the time on these young wings who are half your age. Um, because that's probably not what's going to find him his sea legs again in the short term. Yeah, that, I guess that's the the hope from a Sixers perspective is that Tucker is just not 100% right now. Like, we know he's not. Not only did he have the knee thing in the offseason, but he, he recently had an ankle the, uh, injury that he was playing through. And him and Tobias both were just kind of gutting gutting things out because the Sixers were so shorthanded and they felt they needed to step up and, and go out there for the team. But hopefully, yeah, as these guys start, like Joel's back, hopefully Harden's back on Monday and Tyrese comes back within a couple weeks. And then maybe you can just give like PJ a week off and hopefully yeah. that, that, that time to recover can get him back to a point where maybe he just has like dead legs right now because he's expending so much effort on the defensive end to compete there. And because he's not a hundred percent, he just doesn't have anything left. So like no left, no lift on the shots, the legs are dead and uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully that's it. And like a, a week or two rest and recovery, will will do the trick. The Sixers track what your shots do. Like in practice, they have cameras above. Like, are you hitting the center of the net? I I have no data, but it feels like a lot of his shots are short. Like the arc isn't there. So yeah, you know, maybe that's his legs. Yep, I guess that's that's kind of what you're hoping for from their Sixers perspective, and not not like hey, he's 38 and this is it now. <laughs> that's that's the worst case scenario. I would buy some of your stock if you're selling it if they could buy him some rest. Yeah, it's certainly can't hurt. And hopefully, hopefully it comes sooner rather than later because yeah. he needs it. And the, the Sixers will be better off if they have a PJ Tucker at full strength than whatever this version is now that send the man on a cruise up the Google, give him a week. <laughs> all, all expense paid cruise, man, at least, at least get him out to the Atlantic. All Ooh. right, yeah, let's let's take this. Uh... The seems mean. <laughs> All right, let's go to Marmora or something. Yeah, send, where, where send him to South Jersey. Some yes. some boating around there. You know, probably a little cold, but <laughs> a winter a winter version. <laughs> yeah, I don't know whale. I don't I don't know what people do in the winter. Yeah, whale watching. <laughs> yeah, you could do some whale watching. I don't know, but uh, yeah, P- PJ. Some R and R would be good for him. I feel like. I think we got our teaser for Twitter. Send PJ Tucker <laughs> whale watching for a week. <laughs> uh yep. That that's it. Um, all right, Dave. I think that's a good good note to end on. <laughs> the Sixers lose by nearly thirty. PJ Tucker needs to go whale watching. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm glad. Very grateful for anyone who stuck with us to the end of this pod. Yeah. Um. All right, Dave. I I think we we should probably end it there. Uh. Unfortunately, not too much positives to take away from the 113-85 loss tonight for the Sixers, but always good chatting with you. Where can uh, everybody find your work online? At David Early on Twitter and at Liberty Ballers. All right, and I am at Philly Fast Break on Twitter. Be sure to check out all of our work and the work of the rest of our fine staff over at LibertyBallers.com. And uh, we'll talk to you next week, hopefully with a more inspiring effort to discuss. But once again, 113.85, 
Cleveland wins tonight, not the Sixers night. They'll be back on the court Friday. Hopefully a better outcome to come. Until then, everybody, enjoy your weekend. Talk to you next time.